Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Do you know what Christian nationalism is? Sorry? Do you know what Christian nationalism is? Have you ever heard that term? I haven't. Maybe, no, I have no idea. Christian, I, I don't know what that is. No, not exactly. Yeah, it sounds sort of familiar, but I, I wouldn't be able to like say what it is. Christian nationalism. I don't think I've heard those two words together before. I grew up in a Christian household. I would consider myself an ex-evangelical. No, yeah. I done a little bit of research into it. Could you define it? Um, I think Christian nationalism is just the sort of like projection of their own beliefs and understandings about how they think things should go and like that's how it should be in society as well and also just like enforcing their own ideas kind of into a political but also social sphere where it doesn't belong. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. Welcome to the show. Christian nationalism is indeed one of those phrases where it feels like a lot of us are becoming familiar with it much too late. It's really only since the January 6th insurrection. That's when people who don't already study these things kind of took note because there was so much seemingly out-of-place rhetoric about Christ during that violent attack on the Capitol building. And we'll talk in a minute about the actual definition of Christian nationalism. But to give you some context on why it's important as we head into the midterms, a recent poll commissioned by Politico magazine found 61% of Republican voters support the idea of declaring the United States a Christian nation. In the hotly contested governor's race in Pennsylvania, the Republican candidate, Doug Mastriano, has openly championed this idea. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been using rhetoric lately that's widely associated with the Christian nationalist movement. And of course, the always provocative Georgia Congress member Marjorie Taylor Greene has even embraced the label itself. My first guest tonight is an evangelical Christian pastor who is horrified by this trend and who is right now on a national tour offering, among other things, trainings for people who want to learn about Christian nationalism and how to counter it from the position of a person of faith. Doug Paget is author of 10 books on Christianity and spirituality, most recently, Outdoing Jesus, Seven Ways to Live Out the Promise of Greater Than. He was the founding pastor of Solomon's Porch Ministry in Minneapolis, and his current tour is part of his work as executive director of the group Vote Common Good, which aims to engage people of faith in civic life. Doug, thanks for coming on the show to talk about your work. Hey, Guy, thanks. I really appreciate being here and I'm really proud of the show, so congratulations. Thank you, thank you. 
Okay, so you heard some of the conversations our producer had when uh, she went out on the streets last week to ask people about Christian nationalism. Do you think people generally know what this is at this point? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, that those audio pieces I heard, those sounded like the good old days when we didn't have to worry about Christian nationalism mm-hmm. and we could all say, I don't know, maybe that's the kind of thing people study when they wonder about the founding of the country or maybe it's just a movement inside of some small religious groups. Frankly, that's the way I thought about it four or five years ago. I would say to other pastors, hey, look, Christian nationalism is real, but it's fringy and it's not something we need to spend a lot of time worrying about. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have to spend a Sunday talking about it or read a bunch of books about it. Um, so don't get too wound up. And, and I was totally wrong. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of pastors like me who looked past it back then allowed for people who were going to be pushing hard to support notions of Christian nationalism to have a runway over the last five years. And as you said, during the January 6th insurrection, that um, that geyser came above ground, and we started to see all of the people who are supportive of an idea that the government of the United States should first and foremost think like Christian people, yeah. should take care of Christian ideas, and then should use violence, if need be, to enforce the ideas of those Christian people. It's really just quite a deeply, deeply troubling notion to my sensibility as an evangelical and a pastor, but also just as an American. Can you just spell it out, though? Like, what what is, then, for people who are like, okay, I hear you, but I never actually heard of it. What is what is the term? What what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult term because it's a term that grabs at three or four different streams of thought that all come together. And look, the reason this matters is because it influences our government and it influences our laws nobody's going around saying to individual people, uh, you should just think differently about the history of the United States. But when people start to make arguments that our laws of the country need to be seen through the lens of Christianity because of the founding of the country, as they would argue, Mm -hmm. then that's when we get concerned. So there's a question about the founding of the country. But more importantly, there's a question about should the government be doing the work of Christianity in its lawmaking and in its intentions. And as hard as it is to believe, there are people who believe that that's what it should do because they believe that morality and Christianity are inseparably linked. They believe that that's the cause of of the church or of Christianity and also the cause of the government. So, as I said, you're on a tour right now um, where you're going from city to city. You're doing a bunch of things, but amongst the things you're offering is this training. who is the training for, and what are those people asking for when they show up? What do they want from you? Yeah, we're traveling in this big bus that has uh, written on it, Faith, Hope, and Love, Not Insurrections, and Christian Nationalism. Who would have thought you'd have to put that sentence together ever, but especially on the side of a bus? And what people are asking is, did I miss something? What's gone on? Why is Christian nationalism so alive and well in the United States? And then what can I do about it? How do I respond to someone when I hear them say things that sound like they want the government to be doing the work of Christianity? Or as you said in the Pew Research poll, that 61% of a subset of our fellow citizens believe that preference should be given to Christianity in the country in its setting of its laws and in the enforcement of its laws. So what people are trying to figure out for many of them is what is it and can I do anything about it? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of faith leaders, pastors, and people that run Christian ministries, 
they're trying to catch up. They're trying to find out if this is something that truly is a threat. In some ways, it feels an awful lot like the early days of 2020 with the COVID virus. Mm. You know, weren't, remember when we weren't sure what to call it mm -hmm. and uh, people called it Corona or the Rona and didn't know how far it would spread. And is this something that's going to really impact all of us? It has that kind of feeling. We're not sure what to call it. We're not sure how widespread it is, but it sure seems dangerous. Mm -hmm. And we know that uh, because of the people that you mentioned, um, and also as we've done our own surveys in the on social media, asking people, are you seeing signs of Christian nationalism in people running for office? Especially, that's really where our concern is, are people running for office because they'll you know, use their power in, of elected office. And we had people from more than 200, I think 207 cities around the country identify people who are going to be on their ballot who have said some version of something that makes them think that these people are supportive of yeah. Christian nationalist idea when it comes to their, their role as an elected official. You said earlier that four or five years ago, you would have been in the category of saying, oh yeah, you know, listen, fellow clergy, don't get too worried up about this. What is it that made you sort of stand up and say, wait a minute, this, this is out of hand. I got to do something. Well, during the Trump administration, we saw the rise not only of white nationalism in the United States, but an increasing amount of rhetoric that used Christianity in the Trump administration. When Jeff Sessions, then the attorney general, came out and justified in a public statement the separation of children from their parents at the United States and Mexico border, because the book of Romans, chapter 12, he said, says that we should obey the laws of the government or feel the wrath of God. That was deeply concerning. It was also a message to Christian nationalists that it was their time to come, mm. come out. Mm. There were a lot of messages being sent. Often the, the, the State Department under Mike Pompeo was starting to talk in ways that many of us who recognize the power of Christian nationalism, we saw it coming out in State Department policies and in positions that were being taken. Then we saw it in the Supreme Court, and we saw it happening with the regulations and rulings uh, that were being um, judged by the Supreme Court, and the rationalization for why they were ruling the way they were started to sound again so much like it. And those of us who've paid attention to Christian nationalism and thought it was, you know, I don't know, more like the the chicken pox or polio vi virus, like we have it under control, have realized, no, we don't have it under control, and it's now being being pushed. And then the insurrection right. was a time where it, it was clearly spreading as a political um, attribute and not as something that people are trying to keep undercover. You know, a lot of which is to say you you you, know, you took note when it started working, when the movement started working, when people <laughs> right. in the government started to say these things. Uh, Maggie on YouTube says, as an evangelical, I find this whole movement is a new religion that has little to do with the Christianity and the Bible I know had to separate from a few old friends. We'll get into some of that uh, after a break here shortly. But before we go to break, we've, in the couple minutes we've got, I do want to ask you, you know, this idea that— um, it's a new religion that it's not associated with the Christian with the evangelicism that Maggie knew. Mm -hmm. Did this bubble up from congregants, or was this something that was pushed by by clergy? Look, Christian nationalism is a leader-led movement. It's not mm. coming up from the grassroots. In fact, the reason people like me as an evangelical pastor and a lot of pastors know about it is because we've been speaking and preaching against it for years. Uh, so people have been very aware of it. What happened was a number of organizations, well-funded, often on the religious right, often on the conservative right, well-funded religious organizations, 
began to move and operate in the uh, positions of power within our local, state, and federal government. That's where it's coming from. This is a very well-funded movement. Part of the reason we're out on the road is we're trying to raise awareness to people from those who study this, that this is not happening by accident. This isn't a general people movement popping up, which is why folks will often say like, I don't even know what they're talking about. What what are they getting at? Well, it's because there's a group of people who don't use this term. They don't often come out as as Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene does and say, I am a proud Christian nationalist. Right. They're just starting to do that in recent weeks and months. But it's been going on for a number of years in a very well-funded effort. And frankly, a lot of Democrats don't want to talk about religion and politics at all. Right. So that's one of the issues that comes up that these, uh, you know, uh, people who oppose these kinds of things don't want to be out there as if they're trying to oppose Christianity, Christianity. in America. No one's telling people not to be Christians. We're saying we don't think our government should be doing the actions of our of, of Christianity in their acts of the government. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. I'm talking with Doug Paget. He's an evangelical Christian pastor, author, and activist who is right now on a national tour in which he's offering, among other things, trainings on how to challenge the rise of Christian nationalism from a faith-based perspective. We can take your calls if you are Christian and your faith shapes your politics. I would love to know how so. What's that mean for you? I'm Kai Wright. This is Notes of America. Stay with us. It's Vanessa Handy. I'm the new intern for Notes from America, and I am so excited to be here. As you probably know, we just expanded our show with a national launch. Now we're talking with and listening to more people in more places. We're taking live calls from folks in places like the Twin Cities and Ohio. We're also tapping into communities. Like this week, we'll hear from people of faith. We love getting voice memos from you, and they're crucial to how we make our show. We want to make that easier for you. So we have a new way for you to send us voice messages faster than ever. You can record and send us messages right from our show's website, notesfromamerica.org. Just click the green button. Of course, you can still send us voicemails or just any messages via our email, notes at wnyc.org. Thanks. We're excited to hear from you. Violent police raids on student protest encampments play out against the backdrop of a crucial presidential election. Could this be 1968 all over again? If every election is just like 1968, then no election is like 1968. Maybe this election is like 2024. Plus, what Israelis are seeing on TV on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. It's Notes from America with Kai Wright, that's me, and I am joined this week by pastor, author, and activist Doug Paget. We are talking about the rise of Christian nationalism and how people of faith, and in particular Christians, who do not think that movement reflects their faith can speak up. We can take your calls if you're Christian and your faith shapes your politics. Let me know how. 
Uh, and before the break, Doug, uh, you you alluded to this truism. Uh, you alluded to the silence about this um, amongst in some circles. Um, and there's this truism, of course, that if you want to keep things civil, if uh, you you want to keep the peace, you don't talk politics, you don't talk religion. Uh, that is frankly rude to do so. And I gather you think that's part of the problem. That's how Christian nationalism grew so large. Yeah, I do think that that's part of the problem. We, we struggle, we've struggled in our country from its founding with the question of what's the role of religion in our civic life? You know, the early founders, as soon as they finished the Constitution and got under the amendments, number one is trying to figure out what are we going to do about religion right. in our civic life. It's a really good conversation. We, we should work hard to have better ways to talk about this. Uh, I, I sort of lament that we think, don't talk about religion and politics. It's like having no talk rules in a family or in a relationship. As soon as you tell people what you can't talk about, very little good is going to come from that. We would do much better if we could find positive ways to talk about it and positive ways to hear each other. Yeah. You know, I'm not one of those Christians who thinks that Christians are silenced in our society, but there's a lot of people who do think that. And so we have to talk about it. There's a lot of ways we talk about it. And uh, we're, we're not very well equipped in our society, in our churches, or in our civic life to, yeah. to deal with this issue that's a perennial issue in the American uh, psyche. But related to that, let me ask you this. I mean, it's so, so the, you're, you're on the tour, you're, you're talking to people of faith, everybody, but people of faith in particular about how they can engage civic life better. What about people who listen to that and think, the last thing we need is anybody bringing any more faith into their politics? Um, uh, how do, where do you fall on that? How do we pro how do we process that? Yeah, I do think that that's a problem. I think we, we should work harder to not have the blending of faith and politics as deeply as we do. I come down on that side. We give a lot of preference in our society to faith leaders and a lot of preference to Christian faith leaders in particular. Mm. There's things we do. Some people don't know that, you know, we have chaplains in the Senate and we have chaplains in our government that often come from a— Christian religious perspective. Yeah. Now, there's reasons for all that, but we should just know that that's dangerous territory to be in. And if we're going to be in those dangerous conversations and have those dangerous positions, then, you know, we should figure out a way to, to be careful about it. And there's people who are very thoughtful about this. I'm not suggesting at all we need more faith in our politics. What I'm saying is we need more people in our politics, and we need people to be talking about all of the things that matter to them and finding new ways to move forward. Frankly, it hasn't gone well, our way of including people and what we'll talk about in our politics. Yeah. A lot of people feel like they want to talk about a lot of things that we can't really figure out how to yeah. talk about in our society. Uh, and, and we should be better at talking about all of them. But I'm not at all advocating that we should have more religion in our politics. I'm advocating that we find more ways to talk about these issues so that we have more people who feel comfortable participating in the civic life of this country. The United States well, is a very big and complicated place, and it's going to take all of us to have our voices be heard. I hear that. Well, let's let's hear some of those voices. Let's uh, go to John in Massillon, Ohio. John, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I, I've uh, been a Christian since I was 13 year, years old, and um, I moved to Toledo, Ohio, lived there for 25 years. And around the time the 2016 came in, and the whole Trump, Trump national uh, nationalism, you know, American nationalism, you know, came, came into the church. Every time I would try to to say, "Hey, look, you know, we're losing focus. We need to be focusing on the gospel and the love of Christ," I would get shut out. Hmm. My wife and I were essentially run out of this church, 
and we wound up moving down towards Canton, and we've had to church shop just to find people that aren't preaching, you know, Christian nationalism. And was that, you know, John, was that new? El- Did you feel like that was a change yeah, for yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it was like, you know, evangelical church tend to be conservative. My wife and I are very low liberal i mean you know we stand on solid christian doctrine but we're we're not hateful we don't you know hate people because of who they are what they do what they love our our goal is to share the gospel and if somebody finds attractive then we can talk about somebody asks my opinion they're going to talk about it but if you violated the the basically christian nationalism line you were marginalized and you know i suddenly wasn't allowed to teach classes And so we came down here, and we had... uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm going to leave it there for you for a second, John, just because we've got a ton of callers, and I want to give Doug a chance to respond to that. That You were nodding like that sounded very familiar to me, Doug. It's very familiar. It's part of the reason we're traveling and doing this work and getting out and inviting people to know that there's others who think about it as well. Not only is John's story true for people who attend church, it's also true for people who've been pastors in churches. We know many pastors who, as John put it, have been run out of their churches because they wouldn't go along with the Christian nationalism uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not coming just from the congregants. This is coming from organizations who are spending their their tax-free dollars that they raise to push for Christian nationalism. And it's it's easy to follow the money and it's easy to follow the, the pattern, but it also just has great impact on churches all over the country. Let's go to Maggie in Long Valley, New Jersey. Maggie, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking my call. I'm so glad that you're having this conversation tonight because um, I think very similar to what the last caller said and what the overall conversation has been about tonight I, too, have experienced that within my faith community, I was raised as a Roman Catholic in a parish that was very heavily rooted in community service and public service. And we saw, especially in the last couple of years and definitely in 2020, a lot of the people that I had been serving alongside and working with to build a community, I saw that they definitely did not feel the same way that I felt. And our family, we felt like we were almost ostracized for our continued belief in building our community and we lost our faith community because of it, because we weren't going to Mm. allow this kind of Christian nationalism to take root. At least we felt that way. And we lost our community. And now we're kind of hesitant to rejoin another faith community. If we're just going to be met with another environment where people Mm. feel that way and they're not rooted in community service. So So how would you recommend somebody to step back into it? (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, Doug? My advice is continue to tell your story because you will find other people nodding along when you tell your story. Maybe you're feeling that right now that you're saying, I'm so glad we're talking about this. That's the feeling people have is, could we just talk about this so we can get out the truth and tell the truth about what's going on? People are losing their churches. And I think this is a great point. It's not just in evangelical churches. Evangelical churches deserve the blame for a lot of this work. But it's true in Catholic churches and in mainline Protestant churches all over the country. Great fear about talking about this and talking about these issues. Let's go to Mike in Maplewood, New Jersey. Mike, welcome to the show. Yes, hello. Thank thank you for discussing this topic. I think it's really important. I have a question regarding the relationship between white nationalism and Christian nationalism, especially in regards to to racism and anti-Semitism. 
What is the, how are they tied? And let me add to Mike's question, Doug, because last week we did a show on conspiracy theories and how, um, you know, and the big lie now and how it's rooted in the original anti-Obama conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Is, um, is this too rooted in, 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 in that, that moment? It is the, the, the roots of white nationalism cannot be separated in this country from white Christian nationalism. That's just historically true. The One of the groups many people know about are the Southern Baptists. Now, the Southern Baptists, some of them are very good on this issue, this particular issue, but they're Southern because they broke from the Northern Baptists over slavery. So white Christian nationalism has been a movement in the United States on its own front. It has blended and joined in with other Christian nationalism movements to create. It's almost like when you look under your desk and you see all those cords tangled up under there and you mm. can't tell which one starts and where it goes, but they all seem to be plugged into the same outlet. That's the way Christian nationalism looks and feels to me in the United States. It's hard to follow any string, but you can see that they're all rooted inside the same power source, which is trying to make Christianity not only more prevalent in the United States, but more connected to the power of government for leaders to make this happen. And it's not just in the United States. The same people who are making that happen in the United States are working all over the world. It's a global movement of Christian nationalism around the world. But in the United States, the power of the white Christian nationalism is the original origination of the idea of Christian nationalism in the United States. Mm. We're, we have a number of calls that I'm going to try to bunch into one that are that are essentially um, from Jewish Americans who say, I feel deeply targeted by all of this. Um, and, um, you know, and certainly many of the conspiracy theories, again, tie back into anti-Semitism. Um, how core is that to the Christian nationalist movement? I mean, is this, are these two separate things, or is it actually just an anti-Semitic movement? There are many... Christian nationalists who have anti-Semitic narratives. There are some who shockingly are very pro-Israel. This becomes really confusing to people. They see things that, you know, where somebody is really pushing for the nation of Israel. They'll have a church that has, you know, an Israeli flag hanging in it. But they're using that narrative in a very particular way to bring about their Christian nationalism in the world. So it gets really complicated. But part of the reason we're out doing this work is we also fear for our Jewish brothers and sisters in this country. White Christian nationalists who are willing to be violent target Jewish communities and Muslim communities. That's part of the reason we're so concerned. We're not concerned because we're afraid that Christians in America are not going to have enough power or too much. We're afraid that the government is going to be used and individuals are going to be motivated to harm those communities. And we can all name the circumstances and situations in which those communities are targeted. So those are very real concerns. And that's partly why we're trying to raise a siren call about this, because there are people whose lives are really uh, under threat and it's a very difficult time for people from uh, Muslim and Jewish communities. Just to throw out a couple of comments we're getting on on uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, Ray says, I'm a pastor. Faith shapes my politics by pushing me to care for and uplift others. Isaiah 58 centers social justice. The black church has traditionally focused on social issues. Uh, you know, I also grew up in the black church. Um, and this uh, this difficulty of figuring out how to talk about our faith within civic life without making our faith about other people. The Black Church has many problems, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't one of them in my experience. I mean, and so maybe this is an obvious question, but how much is this a white conversation? 
Oh, it's very much rooted in, in white churches. And part of the reason, some people are confused, they see black churches talking about biblical narratives and then calling for justice in the world. And they say to themselves, well, that's that's all we're doing. You know, we want to name a Bible passage and then tell the government to utilize that Bible passage for their motivation. The, one of the differences is that historically, these black communities have not had the levers of power in our government. Mm. So they weren't asking for the government to make those dreams that they, dreams of God that they heard about in the scripture a reality. They were working in their church congregations and community life to make that a reality. When white churches use the levers of power from their white privileged place, that's why it looks and feels different. That's why race, because race is always an issue in the United States. And so when people conflate what they're hearing in a black church for people who don't have the historic access to power in the same way, and they see that happening in white churches where people have access to that power, it doesn't ring the same. It's not the same story that's being told. When people of positions of power want to baptize their power in religion and in Christianity is different than when someone turns to their faith for the solace and for the motivation to keep moving for goodness. Those are coming from really two different places and should be seen as two really distinct movements. I do want to, before we get too short on time, talk about solutions here, because that was the whole point is you're driving, you're, you're around the country trying to train people on how they can engage. Um, I cited that that statistic about 61% of Republican voters say that they would support uh, declaring the United States a Christian nation. But is that a bit of a flattening stat? Like, I mean, there's yeah. there are there distinctions to be made within that number, and that that help us think about solutions. There are. That's really insightful question. When you ask people a second, third, and fourth question about what the implication of that would mean, they start to moderate and change their answer. Hmm. When they say, "Oh, well, then that would mean that other religions would have less of a voice," they say, "Oh, no, I don't want that." Well, that's what that would cause. And they think about it and they say, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe we don't want it to be that. This is part of the problem where we have surveys of notions that people have in their minds that they haven't really thought about and talked about. But mm -hmm. then these same groups and and power movements of leaders take those notions and play on them. So what they're doing is utilizing this sense that people in America want America to be good and that's why our group's called Vote Common Good. They want it to be good, and they think that good equals God, and they think God equals Christianity. So they say, yeah, I think we should be a good country. You know? And, and then what, you say more to them, and they're like, yeah, but no, I don't mean that. And you start describing what, what white Christian nationalists actually think, and they pull away from that idea. So what does some that mean? education is necessary. What does that mean to like the number of callers and tweeters and YouTubers we've had who said, I was in a church, this thing happened, and I felt chased out? For that person in that moment, what does that mean? What, what should they take from what you just said in terms of what they should do? Very often, and I, I can't name everybody's story, but very often the stories I've heard, people will say, it wasn't exactly clear why I was being run out. Again, they can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. As soon as they bring it up, they're silenced. We heard that story earlier where someone said, pretty soon I wasn't put in a position of power. The most important thing we can do in a democracy is speak up. So if you're in a church or you're in a community or a group of friends, start naming these things and don't allow people to utilize the power of these notions without actually claiming them. So part of this is getting it out in the open. 
and then we have to get good at talking about it. And boy, there's a lot of people who don't know our history. And somebody will say, well, I, we just in a training we did the other day, someone said, well, I thought you had to uh, say your oath of office with your hand on a Bible if you're going to be, if you're an elected official. We had a whole conversation in the room about whether that's true or not. It's not true. No, it's, it's I, not. I you know. was about to ask. I'm not sure. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. So there's some things that people, that people don't know. You don't have to have any book of faith. My congressional representative, Ilhan Omar, used a Quran for her book. And then there's Christians who go around saying she's not actually a sworn-in representative in the House of Representatives because she didn't use a Bible. So some of this is information. We do have to get that out. And then we also need to invite people to think differently about it. We can't just suppose that people are going to know more. Most of us don't really know our own history, and we certainly don't know our laws. And we don't want to have to feel like we're being lawyers about all of this. It's part of what's just exhausting about it. Like, it, it feels like, boy, the last five, seven, 10, 20 years have just been politically exhausting. And here we go again. We'll have to leave it there. Doug Padgett is a pastor, activist, and author He's executive director of the group Vote Common Good, which aims to engage people of faith in civic life. Doug, thanks for this time. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who called. If we did not get to you, there were many of you, so we definitely didn't get to you all. You can now leave us a note directly on our website. Go to notesfromamerica.org and you'll see a button allowing you to record a voice note for us. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. We are live each week, but you can also follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. We are on both Instagram and Twitter at Notes with Kai. That's Notes with K-A-I. Our live engineer is Matthew Miranda. Theme music and mixing by Jared Paul. Our team also includes Regina Dehir, Karen Frillman, Vanessa Handy, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. And I am Kai Wright. Thanks for spending this time with us. I'll talk to you next week. 